0: Now please stand and turn in your Bibles to Genesis 17, where we will be hearing from the Lord. This is the institution of circumcision in the Old Covenant, It is Genesis 17, verses 1 through 14. Genesis 17, verses 1 through 14. But your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between you, me and you, and your offspring after you, throughout their generations, for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. You may be seated. Our understanding of baptism is similar to a diamond. In that, like a diamond under intense pressure, our understanding of baptism is the result of the theology which exerts intense influence around it. Baptism is at the center of much controversy because it touches so many different things all at once. One change in one area of theology may change baptism, but one change in baptism will change many different things All at once. Different environments will create different qualities in a diamond or in doctrine. So it is especially with baptism. For it can only be understood not by looking merely at baptism in the new covenant itself. But at what doctrines intersect baptism and make it meaningful and what it is to us. Which brings us to our passage. Although we're not in a series in Genesis... We've been going through 1 Samuel and Revelation. We're in Genesis 17 this morning because of two baptisms, which shortly we'll be enjoying, I hope, Lord willing. We're in Genesis 17 because this is the beginning of the sacrament that we now call baptism in the life of the household of God. To some of you, it may seem strange that we start with circumcision in a sermon about baptism, But that only underscores the point of what I just made about the intense theological pressure around baptism itself. Let me put it this way. When we go to our Old Testament, what do we find there when we read it? Do we find things that no longer pertain to us? Now that we are in the New Covenant, is the Old Covenant no longer relevant? Is the Old Covenant like a horse and the New Covenant like a car? Something... That our covenant progress will be leaving behind. The act of circumcision is something that we are no longer in the new covenant obligated to do. As Paul makes abundantly clear in the book of Galatians, and the whole church agreed upon even in Acts 15. So why are we going back here this morning? For those who think that circumcision has nothing to do with us in the new covenant, look at me At Genesis 17, especially verse 7. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you through their generations for an everlasting covenant. To be God to you and to your offspring after you. And then please go to verse 10. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. How can this Genesis 17 covenant be everlasting? And yet circumcision, the covenant said in verse 10, is no longer practiced among us. This is a covenantal issue. How does new and old covenant relate? The sign of the covenant circumcision is so momentous that God says of it again in verse 10, this is my covenant. Every male among you shall be circumcised. And yet we no longer practice circumcision. What is called in verse 11, the sign of this everlasting covenant between God and you, my people. How can this be that we do not practice this any longer? These questions ought to be in our minds right now. Has God's everlasting covenant failed? Was it really everlasting? Are we to continue circumcising today? Are we actually in rebellion because we are not circumcising today? There is a simple solution to this seeming problem, good covenant theology. Genesis 17 is an administration, an administration of the covenant of grace. And circumcision has been replaced in the new covenant with an equivalent sign, baptism so that the everlasting covenant persists. Praise the Lord. Not unlike a presidency transferring from one presidential administration to another, the covenant document, that is the constitution in this idea, stays the same throughout the presidencies, but the administration surrounding the document changes slightly from one time to time, one administration to another. So the covenants. God's covenant is like this. Depending upon God's plan for that specific time period, the specifics of the covenant might change, but the substance always remains the same. The covenant never changes, neither one jot or tittle. So baptism is the new covenant administration of the covenant of grace, started in Genesis 3.15 and replaces circumcision the sign and seal of the covenant in the old covenant administration of that same covenant of grace. That is an overview of covenant theology. This is no unimportant question, covenant theology, brothers and sisters. Covenant theology is not a small matter. It is a matter of everlasting life and death. Let me show you this from our text. If this everlasting, in verse 7, attached to this covenant... It does not mean forever, as covenant theology says it does, but it's just a past covenant that has no relevance to us today, a merely external covenant, as many others would say. We're not Presbyterian. Now, neither does it mean forever in verse 8, which says, I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojourning, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession and now giving us, giving us the very meaning of this covenant, and I will be their God. Why does this matter? Well, we are not in the land of promise today, are we? We are not in Palestine. We are in America, yes. But God has told us in Hebrews the real meaning of this promise, even to Abraham, and how he understood it. By faith, Abraham went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. That is a reference to Genesis 17. And here's a reference to verse 7 of Genesis 17 and verse 10. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. That is, this everlasting promise of a land to forever be with God Abraham knew to be a promise which would not be confined to this earth, let alone the land of Palestine. The real meaning of this covenant promise was to here have everlasting communion with God in his land that he will build, to be in a land where we will be forever with God, to the city that has foundations, whose builder and designer is God. That is, in fact, a central point of the book of Revelation, which Jeremy will abundantly bring out as he continues through that book. This is the point. If this first covenant of circumcision in verse 7 has ceased, then so has this second covenant. Verse 10, this covenant promise of eternal fellowship with God. And so our eternal salvation and of our hope of salvation at all and of communion with God forever, ceases to be, ceases to be forever at all. If verse 7 or verse 8 everlasting is anything less than eternal, then you and I, we, all of us, are doomed. So that we must be certain what God means here. Not only does our salvation depend upon it, but the well-being of all of our children depends upon it as well. So let us first see what was the meaning of circumcision here. At this time, in the old covenant, with Abraham. The covenant made with Abraham, according to the Old Testament, is primarily a spiritual covenant, brothers and sisters, not a physical one, although there are physical aspects. That is, although God says to Abraham in verse 6, I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you, which is a physical, political thing, God promising a political nation, that is just a secondary aspect The primary content of this covenant with Abraham is spiritual in nature. And circumcision was a spiritual sign and seal of the spiritual covenant. God says this very thing, not merely in the new covenant, which is said all over the place, especially in Galatians, but in Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, by the same, the very same author who wrote Genesis. He says there, The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and Jeremiah 4.4 4 famously says, Circumcise your hearts, O men of Judah, lest my fury come forth like a fire. The significance of circumcision is in what it means spiritually, not in the act itself or in some political nation of the old covenant. Circumcision's purpose was to point to a spiritual reality for God's people. That is, as Jeremiah 4.4 4 just showed us, Israel needed the cutting away of sin from within them. They needed sin to be rooted out from them, rooted out from their very hearts. We see this in our passage too, as the act of cutting away is not only for the foreskin, but for anyone who sins against God in this covenant. Verse 14, anyone who breaks God's covenant by not being circumcised, will he himself be cut off. He who sins against God in this thing will be cut off. They must be pure. Circumcision was to show Israel the sinfulness of their own hearts and their need of God's intervention for their repentance and faith. It showed just how much Israel needed to be cleansed from the pollution and guilt of sin and showed this cleansing of forgiveness comes from God alone in his covenant. But positively as well, it was a sign of God setting these people apart as holy. It was a promise that God would cut off sin, which was so resident in the Israelite heart. God promised in circumcision that he would deal with sin and that he would make his people holy as this covenant promises. Such was his love for Israel that he initiated salvation for them in this and would accomplish his promise of making them holy so God could be Israel's God and dwell among them forever for their blessing. That was the meaning of circumcision in the old covenant. So that, secondly, we see circumcision is also a covenant family action to sign and seal the promises of God. A covenant family action to sign and seal the promises of God. Here's an interesting point. If this sign was a sign of God's hatred of sin and his love, of his holy people, why is this sign given indiscriminately? On the eighth day to every boy in Israel? Would we expect that this sign would be given to those people who had faith in God rather than to an entire nation who had people without faith within them? This is pagan logic, and not God's logic. For he says in this passage, He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. In this Old Testament time, why were babies circumcised? Was it because they had faith? Was it because of the faith of their parents? No, it was because of God's command in this covenant that they be circumcised which is why we baptize today, because God commanded it right here. They were given the sign of the covenant because they were part of the covenant community who had the word and the promises of God. They were the people that Paul speaks of, those good people with the oracles of God. And the old covenant circumcision never washed hearts clean of sin, although it imaged this, as we've seen. How do we know this? We know this from the twins of Isaac. That is, Abraham's son Isaac had two sons. The first twin, the elect man of God, Jacob, was circumcised, as well as the reprobate man, Esau, because both were from Abraham's seed by birth. Circumcision didn't create faith in in Esau or wash his heart, did it? For God says that he hated Esau in Malachi 1 and in Romans 9. Esau was circumcised because of the covenant. And although Esau did not inherit for himself the covenant promises, those covenant promises seen here in Genesis 17 were for him to partake of. Nonetheless, they were offered to him from birth to death. God did not covenant with Esau Merely as an individual, God covenanted with the family of Abraham, and so Esau was circumcised. God has always worked through families for his gracious promises and his gracious purposes. Although grace is not an inheritance to be passed down from family to family, grace is connected through history with the children of families by God's purpose and command. Brothers and sisters, God covenanted with families. Why is this? Because circumcision was the same as baptism. Go look at Colossians 2 and Acts 2 for yourselves for more proof of this. It was not meant to be an act which created salvation. It was not meant to take away original sin, but to signify and seal God's grace in Christ, both baptism and circumcision, what does this mean? It means that circumcision was a sign for Jacob and no less for Esau. That the promises of God's salvation through the cutting away of sin from the heart, of full justification and sanctification, a sign of these things, are vouched as true before them. But more than this, these promises are sealed to these infants, Esau no less than Jacob, not only as vouched for truth from God Himself. But an assurance to baptize children and to their parents that these are the heirs of the promise. The promise we hear find in Genesis seventeen. I am their God. For the children of Old Testament and New Testament believers, this is the promise I am your God and the God of your children. Now Jacob was saved and Esau was not. So we cannot say that the sign and seal of the covenant creates salvation, as we have said. No, they must take possession of that promise by faith. But more than this, God says, I am your God. And we ought to assume that he is their Savior God. Until those children give us clear evidence, to the contrary, by rejecting those promises, we have a charitable outlook on our children because God tells us to. Do you see how circumcision was far more a declaration of God upon the children of the covenant of God upon the children of the covenant than he would ever be the children declaring their faith to God? It is God initiating the covenant relationship, the loving relationship of a father upon his children. It is God declaring that the children of believers, or even just one believer, as we know in the new covenant from 1 Corinthians 7, are holy. And what a saint the word for a new covenant believer mean? It means hagios, holy one. Your God does not sit idly by, but actively presents to our children the promises of God, because these are the heirs of the kingdom according to Genesis 17. But circumcision with baptism in the New Covenant form of the promises, with baptism in the New Covenant form of the promise within circumcision, is more than just a sign and seal of the covenant of grace, which images the cutting off or the washing away of sin and the initiation of children to the covenant community. It is also, thirdly, a means of grace. So that third, we see circumcision, and therefore baptism, the new covenant equivalent, is a means of grace, a means of growth in holiness, a means of fellowship with the triune God, God says, I am your God, which is a great grace, the greatest blessing that can ever be bestowed Is fellowship with that great God. Again, I do not mean that circumcision or baptism have ever, by the work itself, created grace and salvation in the heart. No, sacraments can never create grace or faith by themselves. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. They can only increase already existing grace and faith when the Holy Spirit so chooses to work through them. But we are commanded to do them nonetheless. But here we must ask ourselves a very important preliminary question concerning infants and a means of grace that is baptism. Are infants human? Because if they are, then they were created to love the Lord as their primary activity. And if they are human, then they have a soul from conception. And if they have a soul, then they can be regenerated. Children are no less human than adults. They are not less than human. Let us not make reasoning ability and willing choice the standard of, huma- of humanity. As if anything unreasonable or unreasoning to our viewpoint was merely animal, and all depended upon conscious choices of the will. No, brothers and sisters, this is not what God says here in Genesis 17. We are not Pelagian heretics. The image of God makes the human, so that even children conceived in iniquity, like Jacob and Esau, and all of us, as David says in Psalm 1, are Human and worthy of eternal condemnation by our sin from conception. And therefore, on the other hand, able to receive new hearts from God's gracious action. Regeneration, the renewal of the heart from sin to holiness, is God's mysterious action that he does first apart from our wills. And this is just as much the case for adults as it is for children. If children are humans with souls, then they can be regenerated to have faith, the activity of a soul, period. We do not say that circumcision or baptism were made to regenerate children, as we've said before, but baptism is a means of grace for infants. If those infants have been regenerated, then God will use this baptism to strengthen their faith, just as he used our baptism to strengthen us. So are infants human and is God almighty and are his promises spiritual and eternal? And does God love his little children? Yes, 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 brothers and sisters. Let the little children come to me, says Jesus Christ, for to such belong the kingdom of heaven. And instead of a greater and better covenant restricting children from coming to Christ and becoming part of the covenant community. Baptism is now given to both boys and girls, where circumcision was only given to boys in the old covenant. Our boys and girls are not to be considered little pagans, brothers and sisters. We are not to consider them outside of the covenant of promise or outside of the church, therefore. Why? Because God has never done this with his covenant people since Genesis 3.15, the promised seed of the woman onward. Your children are part of the covenant if you have faith in Christ. They are part of the visible church, absolutely by God's command and promise here in Genesis 17. However, be warned from the circ- circumcised Esau, parents, parents, you must teach your children. And above all, pray for your children that God may save them. That is, not only bring them into the covenant community where they, when they are baptized, but that they might be united to Christ. Their regeneration is now unknown by us and undecided in our own minds, although it is certainly decided and known in God's mind. Had f- confidence in God, parents. Every old children... And even young children, regardless, are worked upon by God in his own time through his spirit. So God promises, young and old, I am their God. These children must eventually confess their faith and they must have faith to be saved. Yet we have the judgment of God's promise and God's judgment of charity in the infant and says, God is your God, little one. So we say this as well. And we may have assurance that God is not finished with the children of believers, not until their dying day, for he is still their God. He is still their God by this baptism and God's promise. And be warned, baptized non-communicate members, those who have been baptized in their infancy and yet do not confess Christ. Be warned from the death of circumcised Judas. Your baptism does not save you. It does not remove your guilt and remove your pollution. Do not be deceived into thinking outward washing is the same as Christ's blood washing spiritually your sin away. You are under obligation from your Almighty God to show your faith and your repentance, without which holiness of faith, none shall see the Lord. God may be your God. And you may be in his covenant community, but salvation is only and ever based upon the righteousness of Christ. The imputation of the merits of Christ Jesus, which we have by faith, which always show themselves eventually and cannot stay hidden. Let us rejoice, family of God, that he loves us and he loves our children enough to initiate the loving relationship himself, just as he does with his adult converts. He loved us even while we were still sinners and children. Here's our privilege, is to be believers, and to be believers of God, who says to us, I am your God, and you are my people, you and your children. Baptism is a singular grace, an outward sacrament which signifies and seals the purification and washing of the covenant of grace, which washes away our sins by Christ's shed blood on the cross. The only real difference in circumcision and baptism is while circumcision is bloody because it looked forward to Christ, baptism is bloodless because it looks back to Christ looks to his bloody sacrifice which purchased our salvation. The removal of your guilt and the sinful pollution of your nature which condemns you is shown in this sacrament. And the holiness which is required for eternal blessing, all of this comes from Christ alone and not mere water. This Christ alone says, repent and believe on Christ. This requirement is upon children as much as parents. And we thank God that we have every expectation that he graciously regenerates the children of believers in his own time, just as he has promised to Abraham of old and promised to be their God in Christ, who said, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And so he has promised us, in our new covenant time, in Acts 2, 38 through 39. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord, our God, calls to himself. Amen. Let us go to our great Father. Our Lord, we thank you that you have dealt so graciously with us, your undeserving, sinful people conceived in iniquity. And yet, Lord, you have loved us in an everlasting covenant, an everlasting love. You have loved us and brought us forth from our own families You have formed us, that we might love you and find all blessing in you. Lord, we pray that you might use us to glorify your name, that we might be used for our own children's sake. As you care for them, Lord, may we care for them just as much. Lord, we pray that we might look to your care, look to your love, that we might seek your presence. We thank you for the washing that we have in Christ Jesus, we pray, Lord, that you would be working in us, reminding us of our baptism, that we might be reminded of Christ Jesus and be reminded of the promise and the covenant which you have made that we might be saved according to your election. Lord, we love you. We, we are amazed by your love. Reveal yourself more, we pray, by your word, by your spirit, by your sacraments. We ask all this, O Lord, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.